All right. Uh, certainly this is an area of prayer for us, and I'm very thankful for your prayer so far. Um, I would say that uh, everything has gone um, exceedingly well. We're thankful that uh, all of the, the process that has occurred so far has been positive, but we need for uh, your prayers to continue. And it's simply for you know the approval and the um, uh, cooperation, I guess you could say, of, of the county as we pro- progress through this occupancy qualification process. And uh, this is something that should be on that short list that you have that you mention daily. Um, the Lord changes things, uh, facilitates uh, actions, and this is one of them. Uh, we have uh, every reason to believe that this is exactly where the Lord wants us to be, and there is uh, every expectation that the congregation would would grow. Uh, therefore, uh, we need that uh, approval and that opportunity. So please keep that uh, certainly in prayer. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he will meditate day and night. He will be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water, whose leaf never withers, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. This is also our opportunity for us to express our love towards uh, God and the blessings that he has given us as we uh, have the opportunity through our priesthood to give. As we always like to say, the Apostle Paul tells us that we're not under any pressure. This should come from our souls, a desire to give. Uh, Each one should give just as you determine in your own soul, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for the Lord loves a gracious giver. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your extraordinary, precious provisions for us. We're thankful for your blessings, and we're thankful, Father, for the Word of God that has uh, is the very foundation, not just for our spiritual lives, but for our everyday thought. We pray as we now uh, look at the, uh, the biblical passages for Palm Sunday that we'll understand the significance of them, Father and how that relates to us now in the church age. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is traditionally... Today is traditionally Palm Sunday. Um, This is... uh, It it is also known by uh, other names um, in, in various traditions, but Palm Sunday is the one that we understand um, from our reading of the Word of of Scripture and from what we see in church history. This is the Sunday prior to what we describe as Resurrection Sunday. Uh, Resurrection Sunday being the first day of the week, and it was the first day of the week after the Sabbath, which allowed for... uh, no work to be done. Everyone had to essentially stay 
in their home or near their home. And so whatever was happening on the Sabbath after uh, Passover, uh, it was done very locally, but it was, did not involve uh, a cemetery, a sepulcher, where the Lord was. And therefore, Sunday there, uh, is known as Resurrection Sunday. <clears throat> now, as far as Palm Sunday is concerned, this is the day that begins Passover week, or what some might call Passion Week, and those two words are very closely related. It's very interesting for those who study the Gospels, and I'll just give you a little history here before we begin in Matthew 21, <clears throat> but the Gospel writers, if, if you were to look at the books, the books written by Matthew, Mark, which we believe is the uh, perspective of Peter, uh, Luke, and then John. And you'll notice that there are certain events that are recorded. But when we look at the amount of time that is recorded from the beginning of this Passover week to the conclusion, it uh, is very significant compared to the rest of the of what they have told, the rest of the history. And the gospel writers, therefore, devote much of their material to the events that are leading up to and including the crucifixion, or what some people might even call crucifixion week. As a matter of fact, uh, there are those who, in describing the book of Mark, they it's described as the passion story with a rather lengthy introduction because he spends so much time from chapter 12 uh, onward. But the final week of our Lord's earthly ministry here begins with the triumphal entry. And we're somewhat familiar with the triumphal entry. We read that and there does not appear to be a lot to um, comprehend about uh, what's happening. The Lord had predicted the fact that he was coming as when he was up in Galilee. He told his disciples, I must go to Jerusalem. I must go to Jerusalem. Uh, I've forgotten there is account of how often he said that. I must go to Jerusalem. He was preparing them for the fact that he would go to Jerusalem and there be lifted up or there die. And the disciples, of course, heard this, and for them it was either something they didn't understand or something that they desired to prevent from happening. But the final week of our Lord's earthly ministry begins here with the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We see in um, the crowd the shouts of, Hosanna, and Hosanna is uh, a transliteration of the Aramaic word uh, or phrase that means deliver us now. Um, Hosanna, now, deliver us now. Um, and that, those cries of Hosanna or deliver us now 
at the end of the week, of course, are going to be changed to crucify him. Crucify him. And I think that what we learn from this is that there's not a change in attitude of those in Jerusalem from the beginning of the week to the end. We simply have different groups of people. The uh, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, uh, the, the religious rulers who were controlling the... Uh, the trials, the six trials of our Lord, did not allow the same group of people to be present before Pilate as those who were entering Jerusalem with the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, as we read the different uh, the different reports by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see that it appears that there are many people traveling from Jericho coming into Jerusalem and that is the group traveling with the Lord Jesus Christ that recognize that uh, there is something special occurring and they're the ones that begin to chant and cry this uh, Psalm 118 and we'll, we'll see this as we go so we have a different a different group there are some who would say they're very fickle. They changed from the beginning of the week to the end of the week. I, these are two completely different uh, makeup of, of a group. But Jesus apparently spent most of the week teaching in the temple area during the day. I remember several years ago I went through a day-by-day uh, breakout of what the Lord Jesus Christ did. And it's not always real easy to, to tell from the text because Mark blends a couple of days uh, and the uh, John appears that he includes an event that may have occurred prior to the triumphal entry. But um, generally, uh, we're able to understand when those events occurred. But Jesus spent the week teaching in the temple area during the day and his evenings were probably spent in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in Bethany. Um, it doesn't tell us that every night he went back to Bethany. And there are some who think that the Lord may have simply what we would call uh, remained outside or camped um, in and around the western side of the Mount of Olives instead of going uh, back to, to Bethany. But I think... Um, it's it's probably better seen that he does, that he goes back and stays with his friends. And the uh, remarkable observations, I think, from this week is the Lord knows that he is approaching the cross. He knows what's going to happen. But throughout this week, he is essentially tranquil. He does get a little bit exercised on the temple mount when he sees the money changers and those who are there plying their trades um, uh, illegally and inappropriately. But for the most part, he's, he's very tranquil. And he's, he's teaching 
still teaching the disciples and still addressing those who are around him. And when we talk about the disciples, he sometimes has them in smaller groups and he has sometimes has them in a rather extended group because disciples throughout the Gospels referred not just to the 12 that were what we would call part of the inner circle, but he has hundreds of disciples who were truly following him. And we know that uh, the women that followed him from Galilee and then the sisters here and others who followed him in and around Jerusalem were probably constantly in and around where he was and what he was teaching. Um, but all three gospel accounts have, or excuse me, all four gospels to include John here, but they all have accounts of the triumphal entry. And we see this in Mark 21, 1 through 11. We also see the account in Mark 11, 1 through 11. It's interesting those verses break out the same way. We have it also in Luke 19, 28 through 40, which is a bit more abbreviated, but it's there. And then John 12, 12 through 19. Uh, the passages in Mark, again, or in Matthew 21, 1 through 11, Mark 11, 1 through 11, and Luke 19, 28 through 40 are not the same, but they're similar. And then John, John 12, 12 through 19, adds more detail, uh, adds a little bit of a different uh, approach and uh, a look, and we'll, and we'll uh, read John. But each one of these accounts includes the Lord's entry into Jerusalem on a donkey. It includes the people cheering as he enters Jerusalem. So there is this reception or this, you might even be able to see it as a surge. It's sort of a uh, a surge of people. And this surge of people are those who are coming from uh, the north of Israel, Galilee, those who are coming from uh, maybe other countries that are entering through Jericho. And as we know, coming down through Samaria was not the chosen path, the chosen uh, way for Jews to travel. They would cross over the Jordan up by the Lake of Galilee and cross on the eastern side, and then they would recross the Jordan right at the, where the city of Jericho is, the city of Palms, and then they would enter Jerusalem from that direction. And that's how the Lord Jesus Christ did it this last time. He's coming in from Jericho. We know that that's where he was just prior, prior to coming to Bethany and then moving into Jerusalem. And therefore, there is, for uh, this week of Passover, there are many pilgrims, we would say, many Jews that are returning to Jerusalem. And while we don't have numbers a sense of the size of what was there. Uh, there are many uh, who believe that the numbers were uh, tremendous. That It was truly uh, Jerusalem would be overflowing, not just crowded, but overflowing with uh, Jews who are returning for the Passover. And that's who is now entering through Jerusalem. And in, in order to properly represent this, the pictures we have, we'll see the Lord riding on a donkey and there may be 20 or 30 people there. 
But there is some sense here that as the Lord is entering Jerusalem, there are thousands of people who are choking the road. And they recognize the Lord Jesus Christ as he's entering. And they respond to him in a really, in a very positive way. Uh, But if the disciples who are the closest to him don't truly understand what's happening here, then the disciples probably at large do not either. Uh, So we have the Lord riding on a donkey, uh, the people cheering as he enters Jerusalem, the reciting of Psalm 118, 118, uh, 20, 25 through 26, which is a messianic psalm. And generally, uh, great euphoria, and that's expressed by all of these uh, gospels. The Lord choosing to enter Jerusalem by riding instead of the normal way of walking was not only symbolic of a leader entering a city, but it was a fulfillment of the messianic prophecy from Zechariah. Nine nine. Uh, what's interesting here is that even though uh, Psalm one one hundred eighteen is described as a messianic psalm, we really don't see the uh, the passage that's quoted as prophecy. It's described as a as a historical event in Psalms. David is discussing it, uh, but it's used by all. Uh, by all, by God the Holy Spirit is the best way to say that uh, as a reference to uh, a leader entering uh, the kingdom so we have um, not only this symbolic indication of a leader entering the city but it is this fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9 that messianic prophecy uh, Let's let's read Matthew 21, beginning in verse 1. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem, and again, they're drawing near Jerusalem because they're coming from the east, approaching Jerusalem, and uh, this is this surge that I'm describing coming from Jericho. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, or Bethphage, as can be pronounced, at the Mount of Olives, Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. Um, There is... You know, some commentary on this that goes back and forth on uh, whether the Lord, whether this was sort of a pre-stage. As a matter of fact, there are uh, some, generally on the more liberal side, that would say this really doesn't demonstrate anything about our Lord. This was probably a pre-staged animal. And when the two disciples approached, uh, the owner simply says, uh, and who are you again? And they say, well, we're the ones that are here to get this uh, donkey and the colt so the Lord can use them. And he says, oh, right. Pre, pre-planned, pre-staged, uh, not a problem. 
but in reality, uh, that's not the sense that we have here. Uh, Jesus and his disciples are approaching from Jericho, and there has been no prior planning. And this is the Lord Jesus Christ in, um, in his understanding of what's about to happen and what is going to happen. And we see his, his omniscience understanding that, yes, there is a, a, an animal uh, and a, a colt ready to be used, and the, uh, the owner is going to be more than happy to allow us to do so. But the other thing I think that we see here is God has a plan, and God's plan is supported by his ability to turn things properly and correctly. And the plan here is for the Lord to ride in to Jerusalem on this colt. And uh, if we were planning this, a lot of things could go wrong. You know, the donkey could come up lame. Uh, the animal could be belligerent. Uh, there could be too large a crowd and um, the animal could be scared or shy or whatever. But everything here works very well. And I think one of the things that we should should understand from this passage is that the Lord works in our lives the same way. Um, we sometimes think that there's just barriers everywhere as we try to either serve the Lord or live our lives. But I think the Lord truly does facilitate events in our lives. And if we are devoting ourselves, committing ourselves to his way and what he wants done with our lives, I think we see this facilitated on a, every day. I think those who pray, Lord, give me an opportunity to witness today. I think they encounter people. And they generally do not need to fight to get the conversation into an opportunity. But the conversation just turns in that direction. Uh, and I think we see other things happening in that way as well uh, in our lives. That doesn't mean we don't have difficulties and hardships and challenges. But that's simply a test if we're going to be determined, we're going to be devoted and committed and continually praying, Lord, how, how are you going to solve this problem as I press forward, as I continue uh, in this action? And that's what we see here. The Lord has need, need of them, and immediately he will send them. Verse 4. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the fold of a donkey. Now, Matthew here uh, uses two different passages of Scripture. We know that the second part of this definitely comes from Zechariah 9.9. But the first part is found in Isaiah. In Isaiah 62.11, Tell the daughter of Zion. And the daughter of Zion here, as found in Isaiah 62.11, is Israel. The, the daughter of Zion is a reference to Israel. It's a what we would call a um, 
a reference that is uh, very, uh, that is very fond. Let's turn to Isaiah 62. Isaiah 62. And as we read through Isaiah, so we get further and further in Isaiah, when we arrive towards the latter chapters, we're really discussing um, what we believe to be uh, millennial passages or uh, the future state. And it says in Isaiah 62, verse 11, Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world, Say to the daughter of Zion, Surely your deliverance is coming. And again, the daughter of Zion here is an affectionate term for Israel. And surely your your salvation is coming uh, is much better translated, your deliverance is coming. Because this is Israel um, that is considered to be a... Uh, a redeemed nation. And it's interesting, as we go back to Matthew 21, I'm just holding my finger here in the Old Testament, tell the daughter of Zion. So there's the sense here of deliverance, again, because it comes from a passage that is describing a deliverance. And then, behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the fold of a donkey. And here we have a literal fulfillment because in Zechariah, Zechariah 9, just a few pages back, says, even in uh, English editing, we have the coming king in my New King James Version, the Nelson Study Bible, the coming king, verse 9. And in verse 9, we have a uh, sort of a history here. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Again, this affectionate term for Israel. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. And that's what we're going to see in the the triumphal entry. Behold, your king is coming to you. Uh, In my New King James translation, it says, he is just and having salvation. But a better translation here when we went through Zechariah is he is legitimate and victorious. There's a great translation there. Lowly and riding on a donkey. A colt, the fold of a donkey. And in Zechariah, we stop right there, understanding that this was the first advent. But then as we begin verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, we now have the second advent. That is after the tribulation. And you'll notice back in uh, Matthew 21 that it's only the first part that is that is actually quoted because this is the fulfillment. This is the coming of the Lord in uh, this manner. So he's riding on the fold of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them. In other words, on the the donkey, we have them. Uh, there's a translation here for the, the two animals, but it's going to be on the colt. And set him on them. 
and set him on them their their cloaks or clothing. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from trees and spread them on the road. Um, the remarkable thing about this is uh, we know if, unless he, if he rode a, a fairly great distance, uh, it would take a lot of garments to prepare the way. But that's what this, the sense of this is. There's a preparation of the way for him to ride into Jerusalem. And the taking, uh, it's not mentioned here. We don't have the identification of these as palm branches. But as we get, as we go to John, John tells us that these are palm branches. Uh, palm branches were seen as uh, items of celebration. Uh, they were used also for the, uh, the construction of the booths for the uh, feasts of tabernacles or the feast of booths. But we're, we see this word in Revelation, Revelation 7, 9, uh, palms, where those who are waiting and celebrating uh, the Lord in heaven, they're said to be using palm branches. And so there's, there's a celebratory mood here amongst the crowd. And you'll notice it says a very great multitude. It doesn't just say a multitude. A multitude would be a lot of people. Uh, a great multitude would be uh, even more. But a very great multitude. Uh, as I said, we're choking the, uh, the entry into Jerusalem. A very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who follow cried out, Hosanna! And again, deliver us. Deliver us now. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So again, deliver us now. Deliver us in the highest. Uh, so this is uh, in the highest here is a reference to God in heaven. So uh, not only is there a reference here to uh, the human being, the Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver us now, but it's also a prayer, a wish to the Father to deliver the nation. Verse 10, And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved. And the idea here is it's shaken. Uh, understand this, that we have a group of people who are escorting the Lord Jesus Christ into the into Jerusalem. Uh, and this group of euphoric, uh, cheering, crying people um, bring a, uh, as the, the text says here, a, uh, a sense of, we could say, drama or even anxiety. What's happening here? And it says that they were moved, but the Greek word really means they were shaken. And um, I think the sense here is for those who are in the city, there is you know, a sense of control and normalcy. But then when you have a surge of people entering the city, there is, um, they, don't, they don't know what to expect. And that's what we see here. And notice it says, who is this? And this is the question that we really present to the unbeliever. Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? What do you believe? 
about him. Who is he? Who is this? And for those who were surging into the city with the Lord Jesus Christ, there's the sense here that he is our leader. Now, it's certainly true that they don't understand that this is the first advent and that he's going to the cross. But they sense that he is their leader who is going to deliver them, who is going to free them from Roman rule. But those in the city are not of the same persuasion, we would say. And you'll notice in verse 11, the multitudes answering said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. He was not yet the Son of God to them. And, um, you know, this is really the challenge we have, is who is Jesus? Is he the Son of God? Is he the one who went to the cross, who paid the price for our sins, and, yes, died, was buried, but is risen? He is the Son of God. And not only could the Lord Jesus Christ have accomplished all of the things, all of the wishes of the multitude and the crowd at that point, but he could do so much more. And he will do much more than they ever expected. But it's just not on their timetable. It's not going to happen now. Hosanna. Deliver us now. And the answer is yes, deliverance. But not now. And there's another deliverance that needs to be made. And that's in our souls. The triumphal entry, as we read here, we're going to go back and read John as well. The other two are, I find Mark to be very interesting. I enjoy reading Mark's gospel. But the triumphal entry was the picture of the Messiah entering Jerusalem. It's the picture of it, the illustration of it. But he was riding on a donkey. You know, and there are a lot of people that question this and they said, why in the world is he riding on a donkey? And the answer is that by riding on a donkey, he was coming as a symbol of peace. And we might even say comfort. He wasn't riding in on a horse, a majestic horse, or coming in a chariot so that he would be seen as uh, a conquering monarch because that is not how he's going to enter. Remarkably enough, he will enter Jerusalem in the future on a horse. And so I think the comparison is natural here. He's on a donkey this time. He's not on the horse descending from heaven. And so this is a symbol of of peace and the real peace that we have here is not the peace that the populace was hoping that they would have between Rome and the Jews but the symbol of peace is the reconciliation that's going to be between all of mankind and their sinful nature their fallen state and that of justification, redemption. The Lord Jesus Christ was going to provide that. 
And that's the symbol that we have here of him entering Jerusalem uh, on the donkey, not on a horse, which would have been the symbol of a conquering monarch. The cries here of Hosanna from Psalm 118, meaning deliver us now, also recognize Jesus as a leader who would take them from the ruling hand of Rome, but not now. Now do it. No, not now. However, even though these people cheered for Jesus and desired for him to lead them, they still did not recognize him as the Son of God. That's what we see in, in Matthew twenty one eleven. Who is this? This is Jesus. He's a prophet. Yes, he is a prophet. But he's so much more than a prophet. He is our Savior. And he would be, will be, the future Messiah. But to them, he's simply a prophet. And this is, of course, truly remarkable. And I think it's a testament to Satan's ability to blind our eyes and blind the eyes of the world. But John the Baptist's ministry had is designed to be the herald, the herald that would proclaim the coming of the Messiah, which he did, and apparently very successfully. We're told that uh, thousands of people were baptized by John. Thousands of them heard that message. And then the Lord Jesus Christ's three three years, his ministry for three years. And this is the best that we got. This is the best that we can do here. He's a prophet. He is the Son of God. To them, he was a prophet. They saw him as being there to deliver them physically, but not save them spiritually. Let's turn to John now. Let's turn over to John. John 12. Matthew has the more lengthy passage here of these. And remember, during this same period of time, the the Sadducees, the Pharisees, we sort of lump them all together in the Sanhedrin, are planning and plotting to try to take him. But the best efforts and the best plans uh, are foiled because of the Lord Jesus Christ's popularity. They're afraid to move on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I find this again to be very insightful. They were not going to be able to physically uh, approach the Lord Jesus Christ and take him. And therefore, God the Father facilitates this. He facilitates it through Judas. And the Lord has Judas right where Judas belongs. And people often say, how is it possible that Judas could be a disciple, be one of the twelve, be on the inside, be so trusted that he was the treasurer, And yet, he could betray the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Well, there's probably a couple explanations, and I think we even covered this in the Roots of Faith uh, for today. But this is part of God's plan. He put Judas right beside the Lord. And probably during the Passover meal, just over his shoulder, we know that John was sleeping right in front of him, sleeping, eating right in front of him as they worked their way around the table. And the treasurer, Judas, was probably in a very honored place right behind him. And that's why when the Lord does say to Judas, yes, it is you, and what you do, do quickly, he departs, and the rest of the disciples are still questioning each other about what's happening. <clears throat> but my, the point that I was trying to make here is that the Sanhedrin could not have accomplished their plot without the assistance of the Lord, facilitating the Lord going to the cross. And uh, also with the, uh, the great popularity that the Lord has here. Verse 12, The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Verse 14, Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey. 16, And this is, this again speaks volumes for us. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Uh, I think that one of the, the applications from that is there are a lot of things going on in our lives and we don't always understand them. Uh, very often in hindsight, though we do, we understand the reason that certain things, certain uh, events occurred in our lives. And some of them, of course, occurred, unfortunately, because of our bad decisions. But on the other hand, many things occur in our lives because that's exactly how God is directing events. The disciples, the multitudes, the Sanhedrin, uh, none of them are in control of this. God the Father is in control of this, and the Lord Jesus Christ is now in Jerusalem. That was his goal. We're going to Jerusalem. And now we're going to have this long week. And I encourage you to read uh, these passages this week. Read what occurred, what's going on during this Passion Week, and how the Lord is, he responds to the different uh, situations around him. Matthew, uh, Luke uh, are really extraordinarily interesting as the Lord answers his disciples' questions. Lord, when is the kingdom coming? I mean, here we are. We're in Jerusalem. What are the signs of the time here? What's going to happen? And the Lord answers those questions. Um, but the Lord also realizes that this is not the time. And we'll end in, uh, in Matthew with him weeping over the city and telling his disciples, 
that the temple is going to be destroyed. This great and wonderful kingdom that they have, uh, that they've imagined, is not going to occur. The Lord is going to the cross. In a way, Jesus is still, if we can bring this back to our study of James and our own lives, in a way, Jesus is still being rejected by his own. Many believers today call themselves Christians, but would not truly qualify as his disciples. Remember in the Old Testament, excuse me, in in the New Testament, there's a difference between a disciple, someone who was truly a disciple, and someone who was not. Very often as believers, we're too busy to truly follow and serve him. And it's one thing to stand in a crowd and marvel at his sayings and be impressed by what he's done. Feeding the 5,000, which is probably more like 12,000, and feeding the 4,000, which is probably more like 8 or 10. To be impressed by that, and they were. But it's another thing to change your life rearrange priorities and find a way to generally serve him. It's easy to stand in the crowd. It's easy to cheer. But it's not always easy to truly devote yourself to him. So it's difficult to find a way to generally serve him and to be a committed follower. We need to conclude whether we are going to be a bystander or a follower, a face in the crowd or a true disciple. And that's what we have here on triumphal entry for each believer to say, am I someone who is cheering and happy and believe that the Lord can do something for me now Or am I someone who truly understands who he is and what he is, what I'm supposed to be doing and how I'm supposed to be responding and what the priorities in my life are supposed to be and how events in my life are supposed to be directed towards him, honoring him, serving him. And that's a tough decision to make because Satan and the cosmic system is a tough opponent. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for these passages of Scripture, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that speak of the Lord Jesus Christ and his appeal to them. The appeal that was only probably understood by a few. And many of them were the women. Mary, who brings the fragrance to to honor him in his death, his coming death. Father, help us not to be just a face in the crowd, not to simply be someone who is uh, committing ourselves in our speech, but not in our our actions. Uh, In drawing near, as James would tell us, we need to 
not only purify our hearts, but also devote ourselves in our lives, truly living the Christian way of life, not simply uh, looking forward to someday when the Lord returns, but living our lives according to our priorities and our desires. Father, we're also thankful that salvation, uh, the perfect gift that you have given us through our Lord Jesus Christ is very simple. And we're told that it simply comes by believing. When the Philippian jailer asked the Apostle Paul, what must I do to be saved? He didn't say you need to change your life. He didn't say you need to feel sorry for your sins. He didn't go through a litany of other things. He simply said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Help us, Father, to have that type of, a, of an answer, a, a mentality, so that we can be prepared. Help us to pray to speak to others, to have those opportunities to witness and give the gospel the, the great proclamation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.